0: Good morning church, so glad to be with you this morning as we continue in this new sermon series called sustainable faith Uh, The gist of it being we are studying the spiritual disciplines The practices that the church has followed for 2,000 years to get closer to the truth of jesus christ And our hope is in discovering the ancient ways They would become present and encouraging us in our faith journey last week We talked about two spiritual disciplines. Does anyone remember what they were? The Bible. Yes. Yes. Awesome. And then follow-up one. Anyone remember? Journey. Yep. Nailed it. we played the music. Yes. About being on a journey of our faith. Today we're going to talk about two spiritual disciplines. Praying for other people in contrast to praying for ourselves, which we'll cover next week. Uh, Prayer being a way to meditate and build intimacy with the Lord. But not today. We're talking about praying for others. And we're talking about Sabbath rest. And the hope is, with this series, is that it's moving us on our faith journey. And so we hope that you're following along, coming every week or if you're gone to be able to listen on the app, because it is easy for us to default in a few disciplines that we do naturally. We do well, hospitality and prayer, or service and journey. But as we practice all of these disciplines, even the ones that don't come naturally, we become more of who Christ is creating us to be. So let me pray and we'll begin. Lord God, thank you so much for these people, these men and women on their faith journey with you. We pray now, Lord, as we open your scriptures and look back upon 2,000 years of church history of spiritual discipline, you would encourage us. Lord, you would open us up, give us tips and tools and and little prompts and urgings from your spirit of ways in which you want our, our, our prayer life to be more bold as we pray for others. And Lord, that you want us to be disciples that know how to take a good nap once in a while. our rest would be a declaration of our worship to you in your name we pray amen sustainable faith week three sabbath rest and prayer for others prayer for others is used to be called or kind of you know older terminology is intercessory prayer we're just going to talk about as prayer for others we talk about prayer and, and about how prayer changes one of the best books that i've read on prayer is this book circle maker by mark batterson I read this book a couple of years ago in a season as a leader of Bethany North where we really needed God to speak. We were worshiping at the Spartan Gym. It was a time of great fatigue. We were setting up the stage, the screen, the lights, the chairs. It was tiring. Some of you were there. We were, we were just praying, God, would you create a new solution for us on Sunday? And as the, as we were praying about that uh, a solution and a product, it became clear to me that God is more concerned with the process of prayer than the product of what we're hoping for. If you're like me, it's easy to pray for the product, the thing we want God to settle. But Jesus is always calling us disciples as we pray for others to be fa- uh, formed by the process. And so, Batterson talks about this as we kind of get a bigger and bigger prayer life, as we're praying for the needs of others, as we see our prayer as mission in the world. Uh, Batterson says this, that bold prayers honor God, and God honors bold prayers. God isn't offended by your biggest dreams or boldest prayers. He is offended by anything less. If your prayers aren't impossible to you, they are insulting to God. Why? Because they don't require divine intervention. And so Batterson's point in the book is that as we're interceding and praying for what God wants to do in the world, that we join God's mission when we have big prayer lives. So for this church, we tried to say, hey, let's have a bigger prayer life. And we were praying about, you know, space, hoping that God would bring a new worshiping center for Sunday mornings. And we felt this deep conviction, the leaders of the church did, that God was saying to us that if we would take care of Monday through Saturday, God would take care of Sunday, so we're praying for God to move and act. And then, you know, Anna, who's our children's ministry director, she called and she said, this is kind of crazy, but the former Sugar Strip Club came up for rent. Maybe that should be our church, ha ha. But here's the thing. When you're praying for the product and God wants to shape you in the process, we need to pray and listen. And so as we were praying for what God wanted to say to us, we started really to listen. I thought, well, that's a crazy idea, but let's pray. We called Leif, for real, Leif, go on down there. He said, "Well, it's crazy because it's not big enough for a church, but I think God might want us to do something here." So, let's let's start to pray about it. And as we did, as we prayed about that building and getting heart for it, the church kind of woke up to the mission. Oh, yeah. We will be concerned with Monday through Saturday and let God take care of Sunday. This facility was being built. We thought no way we'd ever be able to be in Shorewood because we hadn't been able to be in the... We didn't know what we were doing, but we thought by praying more that God would answer our prayers, and he did. And so we, we underwent the Junction Project. Many of you were there. We, we sublet over to the coffee shop. They pay rent to the church. The church uses that money. Ministry to our community. We buy pizza lunch that Young Life leaders serve couple times a month to Shorewood and Shorecraft students. We use that money to provide breakfast on Tuesday morning to methadone patients and homeless people on Aurora. It's, it's a beautiful partnership. Uh, starting next month, we'll be serving our breakfast, hopefully with Shoreline Police, at the methadone clinic. Churches and two other churches want to partner with it. It's beautiful. All because we were willing to pray big and ask God to, to answer our prayers. And we realized that we were looking for a product and God said, no, I want to shape you in the process. So fast forward a little bit. It's December a couple of years ago, we had opened in December. A couple months after that, I was asked to speak at a Shoreline prayer uh, network with all churches and you know, people coming together, and they wanted me to tell the story of the junction. So I got up there, and I told the story of, of Anna and Leif and of God and volunteers and, you know, what was a strip club into a coffee shop and, and local ministry. And at the end of uh, the prayer meeting, this woman came up to me. She was deeply shaken, and, and she said, I prayed for that building i said oh okay that's neat she said no 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 our church because god's doing neat things in lots of different churches in our community we're proud to stand with lots of different churches in this community but she said my church we had this mom's in touch group we walked around that building when it was the strip club we've walked and we prayed for seven years and i was like oh well that's really neat you know i kind of you know was like affirming her and, and she was shaken she was being convicted of the fact that she was looking for God to do a product, and God was in the middle of a process because she said, she looks at me, and she said, we didn't know what was taking God so long, and we gave up. And she told me a little bit more, and then literally she just kind of walked off, just kind of shaking her head. Because oftentimes when we intercede for God to do something, we're, we don't see the whole picture. And we miss the whole unfolding what God wants to do in our community because we're stuck with how or why or when something might happen. And this woman's faith seemed like it had been disrupted by God's inability to action, but God was in the middle of a long story because God is always in the middle of a long story, friends. And so as we talk about praying for others today, we're talking about that we are called as God's people, that we're called to, to be big and audacious in our prayer life, but we're also called to rest. And that's what we're going to talk about today that in the end, we must rest in His control, which we practice when we Sabbath. That we're called in an external fashion to be praying like crazy for our friends at school and for God to do you know, work with race and justice. And I mean, we're called to these, be these prayer warriors. But at the end of the day, when we rest, we worship God. Because when we rest well, we say to God, I trust what you're doing in your timing. God, I don't want to be obsessed with a product. Lord, teach me in the process of, of how to trust in you more. So let's look at the first discipline, the first point of our outline, the exhale practice. All series long, we're going to pair two relatively different practices, one on the inhale nature, you and Jesus, one on the exhale nature, you and community, because we're, we're forged to be people both of inhale and exhale, both of work and rest. Both of, you know, participation and the presence of the Lord. And so, the first exhale practice we're going to look at here today is this praying for others. Because we're called to pray for others when we're called to love others. If we love others, we'll pray for them. If we love other people, we will pray for them. And intercession or praying for other people is real service and mission. When you lift those people in prayer around you, in your family, when you're praying for your kids, when you pray for your roommates, when you pray for... Kids in your school, when you pray for people in your, in your neighborhood, in your retirement community, it's mission. And for far too long, there's been this false dichotomy in the church, and, and dare I say I've been victim of it in the early years of Bethany North, or, you know, this false dichotomy between prayer and action. And in this false dichotomy between prayer and action, you know, one group of people is out building homes for the homeless and transforming strip clubs, and like, we're just, you know, faith in action, faith in action, <clears throat> but the other folks are just praying And so this false dichotomy arises, are we going to pray or are we going to do something? And this morning, if that's an idol in your life, the Lord would love to topple that over because prayer is action. Prayer in the life of Jesus was action. Prayer was always girding him up for what he was doing next. Prayer is always in the the ministry of changing us and changing the world. That prayer is action. And we need to kill that idol that somehow prayer isn't it isn't real mission. All the times people share with me things that they're going through, and I say the only thing I can do is the best thing I can do, and I will pray for you. Because prayer is mission. But then there's this tension, of course, of course. Does of does prayer work? Like, does it, does it actually work to pray? Of course, we have, you know, the episode where Moses changed God's mind on the mountain. There was that issue with Abraham outside the tent where the three visitors and, 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 and Abraham interceded for the lives of, of those in Sodom and Gomorrah. There, there's episodes in the Bible where God is influenced by human prayer. But oftentimes, we've got the wrong expectation of God being some sort of ATM machine. A friend of mine who was searching for faith, we met over at the junction for coffee, and we were talking about faith and these things, and he just said, you know, that's, that's why I can't believe, because I've seen people pray, and it doesn't work out that well for them. And I said, friend, uh, tell me more, because we're always trying to get people disengaged in faith. We, just, we don't shove answers down their, their throat. We just say, tell me more. Tell me more. And he starts to tell the story of his mom and a sickness and a prayer that went unanswered. When prayers go unanswered, it is detrimental to our faith. Let's be honest. Let's be honest, it's hard to pray for people we love and to watch them suffer or to watch them walk away from God or to see situations in our country that don't go resolved. And so we we have this tension. How do we pray and believe that prayer matters when so often in our lives we can't see how God is going to answer them? But we are called to believe that we are praying for God to do what God will already do. And that we are called to pray in such a way that we will be shaped in the process of the, of the praying. And that God would intercede as he wants to intercede. That we're going to trust God with the process of what he'll do with this person that we love. And it is a tension. It sure is. It's complicated that we're called to pray and to trust. The book of Daniel, there's all sorts of intercession. But in Daniel 9, 18-19, Daniel says, We do not make requests of you, God, because we are righteous. No but because, God, we make requests of you because of your great mercy. We're called to pray, not because we know the right product or because we're righteous, but we are called to pray for others because of God's mercy for us and for them. That's what Jesus says. Jesus says, pray in such a way. How do we pray? Our Father, hallowed be thy name. The kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so if there's one thing that we can utter, God, Lord Jesus, on earth as it is in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. I want things to change here, God. I want on earth as it is in heaven. And so many times as Christians, we get into this, in this conundrum because prayer gets less and less powerful in our lives, and we just start thinking, well, I guess in heaven it'll make more sense. But Jesus said, when we pray, we pray on earth as it is in heaven, that we pray for others, that the kingdom would come into their life, that they would be healed, that they would be changed, that we would be changed, but we cannot be obsessed with the product. We must stay faithful to the process because we just don't know. We're not God. And, I, and I'm with you. Some of you in the room are like, man, that's a tough tension, Scott. It's complicated. I'm with you. I've fought this battle myself, but I want to, I want to encourage us that, that, that the prayer for Jesus and his ministry was the center point of his discipleship. Remember Mark 1, early in the morning, a great while before day, he rose and went to a lonely place, and there he prayed. And so the prayer life always becomes the seedbed for what we want to do in the world, for deeper relationships with people we love, we're called to pray more. And the answer of why is it comes from Paul's letter to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, where Paul says that we are co laborers with God. That our prayers matter, that we're not God, but somehow we're co-laboring from him. Not silent minions, just kind of not knowing what's going to happen, but we're called to labor with God, that he's out in front of us. And like that Elisha verse about, you know, that we would have our eyes open to what God wants to do in our community. We'd have our eyes open to what he wants to do in our heart, that we're co-laboring with him. That's the essential, because as we pray, we change. And so I want to encourage you this morning, if you are somebody that prays for others, and this is just kind of like, yep, a feather in the cap, because you're just rocking this already, like, be blessed. I'm thankful for that. But for many others, the rest of us, maybe our prayer life isn't so vibrant. Or maybe we've been praying a lot about heaven, but this whole on earth as it is in heaven feels like a stretch. I want to encourage you that that a prayer life of others, for others, it takes time to learn. I mean, think of even Jesus' disciples. They spent three years walking with him. They would watch him walk out and pray for hours. They, they saw Jesus pray before he did miracles. They saw it all, and yet still Jesus was teaching them. Jesus was teaching them. He said, this is how you should pray. And in Luke 11, he has this incredible verse. We get the Matthew and Luke is the, uh, the, the Lord's Prayer, but in, Ma- in Luke's version, he, Jesus teaches them to pray. And then he says in Luke 11:8 8, that we should pray with shameless audacity. Like, that's the new international version translation. Pray with shameless audacity. Don't you love that? I mean, how encouraging or convicting is that? That we're called to be praying on earth that is, is in heaven, and we pray with shameless audacity. And I'll tell you, friends, it's hard. It's so hard because we experience things that feel quite hopeless at a level. Diagnoses, people, just yesterday we were with, family that lost their son. How do you pray in the midst of total heartache? We pray with shameless audacity for God to do what his will is already gonna do, that we might be witness to it, that we might co-labor with him, and that we would be changed as we pray, that our view of, of God would be expanded. And we see this as we pray for others. I've seen this so much as I've kept a prayer journal the last year and a half for people of this church because I see time and time again my life being changed as as God moves in your life. And so often in the past, I was just ignorant about what God was doing. So pay attention and be bold and have a prayer life that believes that in prayer, God hears you and God moves and God changes situations. And even when situations don't change, we're gonna call you to continue to hope because the process is likely bigger than the product that you're hoping for. It's tense, it's tough. But well, we're called to have this vibrant, passionate prayer life. Pastor Richard, as we studied this text on Monday, uh, told a story about his friend Joe Shepard. Joe was on the board of Richard's mountain ministry before he came to Seattle called Alathia, And Joe Shepard was a Vietnam veteran. He was a helicopter guy. And in Vietnam, Joe Shepard was shot down, and he and his buddy survived. And they found themselves in the middle of a field in a foxhole. His, his friend with, had a broken leg, gruesomely broken. And Joe and his buddy have one gun between the two of them. And as they look up, the enemy is literally advancing around them. Joe Shepard is a non-Christian because as he looked out in the chaos of Vietnam, he thought, there's no way that God could be at work in this process. Joe was a non-believer, but not his buddy with the broken leg. And so as Joe and his buddy were kind of hunkered down, as the enemy was closing in, his friend just looks at him with a broken leg and he said, hey, Joe, you shoot and I'll pray. And the, the faith of, of this young man is like he honestly believed that they were going to be equal, that Joe was going to take care of business, what he could with this one gun, but by his prayers that this other young man would be participating in, in their safety. The story ends, they, they do survive. They were medevaced out. And that was a transformation moment for Joe where he would later give his life to Jesus Christ. And he became passionate about praying for others and having a prayer life that's robust. Because as that 2 Kings passage teaches us that when we pray, our eyes are open that God is already working, that God is already moving. You notice that 2 Kings passage that was read for you? Elisha didn't pray, and then the army shows up. No, he just simply prayed that the servant's eyes would be opened and that the enemy army's eyes would be closed. So we're praying for our eyes to open. God, let me see what you're already doing in the world. How? How do we do that? Let me give you four tips to a better intercessory prayer life. Tip one, praying for others. Powerful prayer starts first with listening. So tuning in to what God is speaking. Oftentimes, it, like for me, I get so, I'm just listing these things I want God to do. And if I don't ever stop and listen, my, 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 my process can't be affected at all. And so if we're going to be audacious in our prayer life, we've got to to first start with listening, to to quiet ourselves before God, to tune into what God is saying, to lay out our requests as we intercede for others, but also make space to hear God himself. Second tip I want to say, do not be dishonest. If you say you're going to pray for someone, do it. And if you don't have a good memory, make a note in your phone or write it on a piece of paper. One of the worst things we can do is in the church when people like, oh, you know, mom's sick or, you know, I want this job. Like, oh, yeah, I'll pray for you. And then we go on our way. And when we don't pray for them, it's worse as if we'd said nothing at all. So do not be dishonest. If you offer to pray for someone in your life, do it. And then follow up with them because it becomes a powerful testimony if you check back with a friend and say, hey, how is that thing? I prayed for you. How did it go? And and friends, I'll tell you, like this will change your prayer life because you will see the ways in which God is moving through your prayers and the things that God is doing in your life. So it almost becomes selfish at a level. The more that you're praying for others, the more that you're following up, the more you're asking, the more your faith life grows, the more your prayer life grows because you see the intercessory prayer works. Third tip, prayer calms anxious hearts. And oftentimes we want to pray or do spiritual practices once the anxiety dissipates, or once the storm I'm facing is going away, or once this current season of busyness, you know, dissipates. But in Philippians 4, it says that be anxious for nothing but pray. And so do not wait until you're not anxious. No. Whatever battle you're facing, whatever foxhole, pray, and may your faith grow as you do. And the last tip I want to lift up to you is I want, I want to encourage us as a church To write your prayers down if you want to see how god answers them i want us to build habits of prayer journaling and we don't get very prescriptive of habits and at the end of the day it's up to you to decide but i will tell you that keeping a prayer journal has transformed my prayer life and so i want to pray every day and i want to write it down and i want to remember what god is doing and then i go back and i look and i see movement and i see other situations that haven't moved and it's discouraging but i keep praying and then i see other things that resolve just this week two situations that people in church are praying for, they felt like God really answered some specific things in their life. It was encouraging. And we need encouragement in our faith life. So write it down. We have these notebooks between the first and second seating area in this little causeway. And I want to give this to you as a gift. We have a little Sharpie, you can put your name. Take a notebook home with you. And when you leave this place today, stop and ask one person who you came with or somebody, you know, kind of around the muffin coffee, hey, how can I pray for you? And then write it down, because as you write down the prayers of the people around you, your faith will grow, and you'll see God show up, and you'll be blessed. Friends, I want to just encourage you, real trust in God is, is going on mission with a bigger and more audacious prayer life. Let's take that journey together. Towards that end, we have a a prayer night coming up. It's in your bulletin, I believe, November 15th, where we're going to gather and pray with the prayer ministry around the Lord's Prayer. We want to be growing in dependency, not on our strength, but on God's. It happens as we pray. The second piece of your outline I want to lift up to you today is this, you know, that's a pretty external thing. You're you're praying for others, you're writing it down, whatever, that's the external practice. Your inhale practice we're going to lift up today is Sabbath rest. And when we practice Sabbath, when we truly rest, we put God back on the throne of our lives. To begin with, to kind of talk about the inhale of Sabbath, I want, we can just be honest for a moment, because Sabbath and rest for many of us in, in the Seattle area is one of our least practiced spiritual disciplines, probably fasting and Sabbath, if we're honest. And we're going to talk about why that is in a moment, but we just need to start with, with a moment of confession, All right. Let me confess to you as your leader, I fail often to practice Sabbath. And all week long, I've kind of had to sit in that because I'm not proud of the fact that it's hard for me to stop. Yesterday, we were in San Francisco doing a memorial of a former Young Life student. The day before that, Portland, day before that, you get the point. And so, so often, people in ministry can be the most guilty of it. We're running, doing, young families, you get this. You know, at every stage of life, we're all busy in this season. So we're going and doing, and Sabbath is just a spiritual, you know, kind of tip. We don't really have to practice it, do we? But as we practice Sabbath, as we practice rest, we shut down the noise, and we're allowed to put God back on the throne of our lives. In the book of Deuteronomy, when when, when the nation of Israel was given the commands of the law, Deuteronomy 6 verse 20 says this, In the future, when your son asks you what's the meaning of the the decrees and the laws, what's the meaning of the Sabbath that God has commanded you, tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And so, friends, Sabbath-keeping is our statement to the world, I'm not a slave anymore. When we rest, we're saying, I'm not a slave to my phone anymore. I'm not a slave to my kid's schedule of sports anymore. I'm not a slave to to my studying anymore or to my vocation or to whatever we can become slaves of. Rest allows us to trust God as the Lord of our life. This is what Jesus said in Luke 6. The Sabbath is for enjoyment, and and, and we begin to practice the pursuit of God being the Lord of our lives when we rest. C.S. Lewis once famously said, the goal of the Christian life is not simply to get us to heaven, but to get heaven into us. And so when we practice Sabbath, when we're people and disciples that actually rest, not just think about rest, but do what I'm going to do this afternoon and try to sit on a couch in my, in my sweats, we actually get to practice that God is the one that's making us into his own. We're not earning our salvation. We're being formed as people that God is, is creating. In mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis says this, God is intent upon making you and making me into a dazzling, radiant, and immortal creature, pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as cannot now imagine a bright and stainless mirror that reflects back to God perfectly his own boundless power and delight and goodness. And so when we rest, we're staking our claim to believe that it is God who is remaking us. And we love the American story and the pull up our bootstraps and we did this and we earned this. And, and again, people in ministry can be more guilty than anyone. But at the end of the day, our lifestyle bears witness Do we trust God enough to actually rest once in a while. And I fail this all the time. But the awareness is the beginning of change because we'll, we'll be measured not which we aspire to but that which we actually do. I think you've heard me say that once or twice. So may we be disciples that actually will rest. And may we you know, take a break because our, our rest will define our worship. Our rest defines our worship because it says that we know that God is still moving. God is always moving. But as we stop, we can see more what God is doing in our lives. But if you just go, 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 nonstop, go, go. I mean, I, I, frankly, even today, I'm just like, I just need, I just need to shut down. Because so I've been out there doing and producing and speaking and going. But pretty soon, it's my strength, my words, my effort, my energy. And the Lord's best intention is that we would practice his rhythm that we would work very hard six days but on the seventh day we would rest remember what the nation of israel that god said i'll provide for you six days there'll be manna then they'll even be quail because you guys aren't happy with the manna. i'll give you and it says you know the nation of israel even gathered when they weren't supposed to and then it's spoiled and god gave them sabbath he commanded them to live into it and and still some some of them were just like eager greedy workaholics, human, and they're out gathering on the seventh day. And everything they gather on the seventh day, it spoils. Because friends, there's no, there's no manna, there's no bread on the seventh day. It's not how we were intended. So yeah, you can run like that for a season, I can run like that for a season, but we will find ourselves out of bread, out of gas, out of sustenance, out of God. We're called to rest. Jesus says in... Matthew 11, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and learn to live freely and lightly. So God gave us in Exodus 20, he gave us the the, the Sabbath as a day of rest. And and many of us in a progressive church setting, we start to just make rest lifestyle. Oh yeah, remember the book of Hebrews, we're going to strive to enter the rest, we're saved by grace, we don't really need to practice this stuff, like why are we being all legalistic? I I just want to say in my life, that's not really working out for me. If I don't practice these disciplines, if I'm not praying for others, then my faith starts getting smaller. And if I don't rest, my hope gets smaller because I'm fatigued and exhausted. And so Jesus says that rest is more than just some sort of spiritual attribute that we can hope for as our in our relationship with Christ. It becomes a practical reality. You need some downtime, church. Y'all work really hard. You need some downtime. And I don't know when you'll get it or how you'll get it, but I wanna encourage you to get it. This time of year, it, it's, it, we need it, right? The days are getting shorter and our lives are getting busier. If your September, October has been like mine, you know what we're talking about, we're just out of gas. We raise chickens in our house. Any chicken family? Yeah, I know, it's ridiculous. All right, okay, you're with me, it is ridiculous. So we raise chickens. And this time of year, there's not many eggs in the, in the hen house, so what do we do? Well, we put artificial light in there. So my little hens, we got a timer, we got a light. Man, 6 a.m., I'm sitting there with my coffee in the living room. Let's get to work, gals. Like, the light's on. You know, let's make some eggs. And it works. Like, I know, it's horrible. But it works. You put more light. The chickens have more daylight, they think. They lay more eggs. It works with chickens. Friends, some of us, there's, there's, there's light in our hen house. And our phone is always going off and we're up early and we're up too late and it's like we're constantly being buzzed to some sort of productivity and we can be productive like that for a while. We really can't. We can be productive, we can be connected, but in time, we just flat out get worn out. And so I want to encourage you this morning like you're productive, but are you joyful? You're productive, but are you faithful? Because Jesus is saying, I don't want you to just keep laying eggs nonstop. I want you to settle into some rhythm. And when the lack of rest is in your life, it reveals a lack of trust. So we will be transformed as we rest. We will. Let's be on this journey together because God is still shaping me deeply. So what are four tips that we can do just to kind of make these practices start to kind of stick? First thing is this. If we want to be people that are resting more, that are actually practicing Sabbath, start small. A half day of Sabbath is great. Even a two-hour block will work to begin. Sometimes in organizations or in our life, we'll say that the good is the enemy of the great. And so what that means is that there's too much good stuff in my life and I can't get to the great stuff, so I'm so busy doing the good stuff. But with Sabbath, sometimes the converse is true, that the great becomes the enemy of the good. You've been conditioned to think that unless you get to Maui once a year, that you can't rest. Or unless you can't practice a full 24 hours of Sabbath, then nothing else is good enough, and it's not true. Take what you can get. Even, you know, for me, Wednesday, busy. I knew I was going to San Francisco, Portland, feeling so convicted by the words of, of Scripture to be a Sabbath practicer, and had just been missing. I went and took a one-hour block on the beach. So start small. The second thing I want to encourage you is this. Confess when you break the Sabbath command, and then move on. And get going to start again. So often for us, the enemy speaks words of shame and condemnation in our heads. We're like, oh yeah, I'm horrible at this. Oh yeah, I never rest or I never pray for others. And instead of that encouraging us to take action and start trying some of these disciplines, we just check out. So I want you to say, when you blow it, just confess it and move on. And third goes right with it. Ask for accountability around the practice. Ask for accountability around the desire to rest. Some of you are like, accountable to what? I'm going to take a nap. Like, it's not a big deal. But some people like me, we need others in our life to help us because we don't ever want to stop. So ask for accountability. Will you help remind me that we're going to take a nap today? or next weekend we're not going to do chores all day Saturday, that we're going to go for a walk or go down to the beach. It's okay to ask for accountability. And finally, I want to encourage you to leave the phone behind. Remove distractions, because so often when this thing is buzzing, even like, oh, I want to take pictures or I need the music, but it's hard to really get away. Find a place where you can be with Jesus for an hour or a day and start to practice rest. I mentioned Wednesday of you know, needing to write a sermon and all this busyness and whatever, and I'm like, I just need to go practice what I preach and go down to the beach, because for me, to go down to the beach, it feels like my place. John Steinbeck in Travels with Charlie, he says, I wonder if all men have a place or want one and have none. We're called to have a place where we can just go and be safe and rest, and so I went down to the beach, and it was just, it was just like an hour and a half, and I took a picture to prove that I was there, and then I turned my phone off. I know, I'm kind of a hypocrite. <laughs> And I'm walking on the beach, and I turn the phone off, and the air earbud's down, and I just head north along the Edmonds Beach, and then slowly, I'm like, this isn't going to work. There's too much to do, and whatever, and then I'm just like, Whoa. "And I, and you can hear the waves, and then you can hear the, the birds, and there's nobody out there, because it's been raining a lot, and, and then all of a sudden, I can start to see the stones on the beach, and I, I reach down to grab one, because I need reminders, the rest matters in my life, Friends, it, it was a busy day. There was tons to do. And there was carpool in a little while. But for that hour, I wasn't doing anything other than being with Jesus. And it was like, whew, it was oxygen for me. Church, we are on a journey together, okay? we got to practice the stuff that we, we say is valuable. For 2,000 years... God's people have practiced these disciplines to make them more like Jesus Christ. Will you pray for others? Write it down. Make a marker of what God is doing in our community. And then will you rest? Will you step away from the plow of your life and get out of the hen house with the light always shining just to say, Jesus, I don't want to do anything right now, but be with you. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for this church and your people that we would be a practicing community. And Lord, as we practice these principles of praying for others and rest, we pray that you would inspire us to live out our values, that you would be the God of our lives. Lord, we confess that for many of us, we're very busy. Lord, would you break us of our need to always be gathering manna, even on the seventh day? Lord God, would you wake us up towards this conviction that prayer is meant to be audacious and big and expectant and make us people praying, prayer warriors, Lord, a hundred of us in a room we could change this community if we were praying big enough and bold enough because lord you're already working here make us aware of what you're already doing or teach us to pray with boldness teach us to rest in radical trust and dependency you are the god of the universe and not us thank you for allowing us to partner with you we pray that we'd be shaped as we journey in your name we pray Amen. Will you stand with us as we close in song? Um, Just a reminder that we have prayer ministers in the back at the end of each service. If you want somebody just to pray over you, they would love to pray with you at the end of the service. Let's close in song.